Hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, media maven, talent booker, and I am very excited because this time I can say I am sitting with someone who's running for attorney general of Georgia officially. Yeah, now I am the, well, first off, I'm Jen Jordan. I am now the official nominee, Democratic nominee um, for the role of attorney general. So, you know, we made it past the first hurdle with the voters. And uh, now we're excited just to, to get on with it. We did it, Joe. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so I was here that night. Um, uh, and obviously it was like such a tough night of the primary because there was the, it was the night of the Texas school shooting, but um, which we were all, everybody couldn't stop talking about that, obviously. But it was an interesting night for you because I feel like we were on pins and needles a little bit waiting for the results to come in. Yeah, it's weird. This is what I've told people, um, like for my state Senate campaigns, I've I've always had a real sense of where I thought the district was and where voters were, um, partly because you're talking to everybody, you're seeing them, you know. Um, but when you're running for a statewide and especially, look, we are not the Warnock campaign. We are not the Abrams campaign. We do not have like a gazillion dollars in resources. Not yet. You know, we're building, right? Yeah. We're building. And um, and it's one of those things I really didn't have a sense if our message was getting through or, you know, where voters were going to be. And so it was it was a pleasant surprise, you know, when we were able to kind of um, call it early in the night. I mean, that had to feel good. I was so excited. I mean, people were so enthusiastic about it. And everybody here was just there was so much love and energy for your volunteers and your staff and your family. And, you know, now you can finally make it official. I mean, obviously it's, you know, there's a a lead up, but now you can really charge forward. Um, There were a lot of surprises that night though. I mean, maybe you being the nominee wasn't that big of a surprise, but for some of the other ones, like especially the secretary of state and there's a runoff coming up. So let's first talk about Brad Raffensperger. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the big Georgia story was Trump had so much how much influence was there and was there not there? And from the Raffensperger. So this is a lot to unpack that I want you to explain. So he won. And then there were a lot of Democrats who uh, switched in the primary to vote for him. How much of an impact do you think that was? I I think he won because of the Democrats switching. Um, And I and I think it hurt other Democrats in their races and, and maybe threw them into runoffs. Um, for example, B. Wynn running in that secretary of state race because she came so close. Um, but look, there are a lot of Democrats who give Brad Raffensperger a lot of credit in terms of not, you know, caving, allowing <laughs> basically uh. an authoritarian takeover of our country. I mean, you know, the way I look at it is he was doing his job, but at the same time, a lot of people, you know, didn't didn't do their jobs. And so I think a lot of Democrats in the state really gave Raffensperger a lot of credit. And I also think that they were looking at Jody Heiss, um, who was really his largest competition, most significant. He was the Trump supported candidate um, and said, there's no way 
we can we can have that guy because that guy has already said that the main tenet of his campaign is basically this stop the steal, overturn the election if Trump wants me to thing. So, you know, so I think Democrats did jump in. I've heard anywhere 50, 60,000 Democrats, you know, actually crossed over and voted in the Republican primary. Um, that made absolutely a significant difference in terms of putting Raffensperger over the line in terms of over the 50 percent mark. But I think one thing people don't talk about is the fact that Jody Heiss's campaign was really kind of a train wreck. Um, you know, everybody assumed he was going to walk in and he was going to be able to raise all this money and he had Trump support and, and ergo he was going to be the guy. But then, you know, I don't know who was running his campaign. I don't know what was going on. Um, but it, it was like amateur hour. And so, you know, he may have had, you know, kind of the leg up initially, but his failure to, to actually get it going appropriately and running a, a solid um, professional campaign, I think, ultimately allowed Raffensperger to come out on top. If Trump couldn't get it done in Georgia, what's next for the future? And, you know, it worked for some of the candidates. I mean, obviously, you know, you can look at Raffensperger, Jody Heiss, which just shows you have to run a good campaign. Right, right. It's just the way I look at the Trump endorsement, it's just like a plus one, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean that you you can't have the election fundamentals. It doesn't mean that you can't, that you don't have to raise the money. I mean, if you are a, a flawed, failed candidate, just because you have the Trump seal of approval is not going to get you over the line. But when you actually do run a good campaign, if you have the money, if you're out there and, and you kind of get the fundamentals right, um, the Trump campaign can put you over the top. And I think probably Burt Jones is an example of that in the Republican lieutenant governor's primary where he barely eked over, right, the 50%. I think the last number I saw was like 50.07%. So that 0.07%, right, don't tell me that that wasn't influenced by the fact that Trump had endorsed him. Well, and then he had those commercials, those terrible commercials, those anti-trans commercials. Well, are you talking... So Butch Miller. Oh, but was that Butch Miller? That was Butch I can't Miller. get the, and he lost. And he lost. That's right. That's right. I can't get their hate. Right. Their hate straight. <laughs> yes. Their hateful political points together. I mean, because Butch Miller, that ad was really, really terrible. But you know what? I think in a lot of ways, and I have no clue. This is just me. Complete supposition. I think that some of those ads and kind of how radical they were, mm -hmm. um, you know, really walking up to the line. I think that people thought, especially folks who didn't get the Trump endorsement, right? right? They had to do that to kind of show that they had the Trump bona fides. Yes. So, you know, you would hear in ads, I'm Trump tough. Right. You know, from candidates who didn't get Trump support. Sure. And so they're trying to kind of, you know, roll all in kind of the Trump stuff and, and say, oh, no, but really I'm Trumpy, um, even though, you know, they were passed over. It's really interesting. And of course, the biggest Passover was the bust of David Perdue's campaign. Woo, talk about, like I said, you can't, you got to have all of it. That's right. And and he ran such a ineffective campaign. I mean, you know, I will give it to Governor Kemp. I mean, he did run a really good campelling campaign. 
uh, looking at the social well, stuff. Look, I think I think part of it is incumbents. Well, the incumbency, the power of the incumbency. He's used that to his benefit. I mean, he was basically he's been giving out checks to to people. Um, you know, he's used the power of the incumbency, and also he's made sure that the laws have gotten changed in terms of campaign finance that have inured to his benefit. And so he's been getting. I mean, he's been bringing in the money. And so if you have that kind of money, you know, and you know how to execute, yeah, you might not need Trump. But Stacey Abrams, because of that lot, is getting the money too, correct? Yeah. Now that she is the official nominee, she is going to be able to use these things called leadership committees, which let you raise unlimited funds from whomever. I mean, there's really no restriction on it. And then you can use those funds, you know, with your campaign. So it basically is just a complete gutting of the campaign finance laws, specifically um, when it comes to the governor's race. Well, that is going to be interesting. I mean, I mean, I expected Kemp to win, but I didn't expect him to win that big. I mean, David Perdue is not someone who resonates. Kemp, I understand why he resonates with people, why he connects with people. He's the incumbent. He's somewhat likable. I mean, a, a lot of people are big fans of his policies and the way he handled COVID um, and the way he's a straight talker and Marty and the girls. And it's it's the whole branding and the package. Like, I get it. Purdue was just a stiff stu- suit. There was no co- connectability with this man whatsoever. I just don't understand what he was thinking. I think nobody understands what he needs. Does Trump have pictures of him with like that? I mean, it, what's the what was the the, the ret- what's the return on investment on that gamble? I, 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 I think that <laughs> I think he lost money. I mean, and at the end of the day. It'll be interesting to see the filings because, you know, he made a big deal about putting in a, a certain amount of his own money in the campaign. Um, we'll see if he actually did that, because a lot of times campaigns will say that or, or candidates will say, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to put a million in or half a million. And then when things start to go downhill, they end up not actually putting the money in ultimately because they don't want to lose it. Right? Interesting. Well, he already said that night that he was going to go ahead and campaign and endorse Brian Kemp. We can listen to that here. You know, everything I said about uh, Brian Kemp was true, but here's the other thing I said was true. He is a much better choice than Stacey Abrams. And so we are going to get behind our governor. Bonnie, I committed to him right now what Jack Kingston committed to me back in 2014. And that there's nothing they can ask me to do that I won't do. We're going to do everything we can to make damn sure Stacey Abrams doesn't take over the state and let the woke mob take over our beloved children and grandchildren. Now, do you think this was planned all along? Like, there are some conspiracy theorists out there who feel like... No, this wasn't planned all along. Well, people thinking that because there was so much interest that it got Republicans riled up, it got people to vote, you know, to the, to the you know, the primary, got pe- Republicans excited. I mean... Look, we've got a long way before November, right? So the one thing you don't want to do is have to to burn through your treasure as a candidate. And so when, I mean, you, I, I don't even want to know what Kemp has spent um, just to win this primary. Um, but it was a lot. Right. You know, the way you, the way you break that down is interesting because you think 
Imagine if he didn't have to do that. If he didn't have to run against Purdue, he wouldn't have had to do any of that bus tour and that touchy feely time, time and treasure, right? Yeah. Time and treasure. So a lot of times people will say primaries are good. Um, I think they're good after I'm out of them, right? <laughs> you know, people will give a lot of lip service to it makes it makes campaigns stronger. It makes you get in shape. It's almost kind of like, you know, the the preparing for the marathon kind of thing or preparing for the race. But, you know, time and treasure, that those are the two most valuable things to a campaign in terms of the candidate and having to spend your your money, but also your time um, in a way that isn't ultimately about November. You know, it really is about May or June. Sure. Um, I don't think anybody would have chosen to do that. Time and treasure. That's a really good one. I like that a lot. I think that's that's something to to really, because, you know, you're in it for the long haul. So you've got to, you Yeah, know. you got, I mean, there are skirmishes, there are battles, but it really is about the war. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and I've seen you doing that. I, I, I love following your campaign journey. Like I love seeing you when you're at the churches and you're at the meetings and you're smile. I love it. I get such a kick out of seeing you out there doing it and you are working hard. It must be exhausting. It's exhausting, but it's also, um, you know, it's, it's fulfilling in a lot of ways too, because a, it is about the people, right? It is about the people of this state and talking to folks and trying to understand where they come from. Because if ultimately you're supposed to be representing them or fighting for them, I think you have to kind of know, you got to know them and you got to know where they're coming from or or at least try to. I feel like it is so genuine when I see you doing that, where it's like, you know, back to Purdue for, for a second. It was just like, like I, when I see you on the Sunday church, I'm buying that. Um, when I see David Purdue at the Waffle House, I am not buying that. I am just not buying him with the Krispy Kreme donuts. And I just feel like it's it's so pandery. Um, well, but I think that's, you know, we've talked about this a lot in terms of people running for office. And, and, and the main, you know, the main advice I give to people is just be who you are, whatever that is. You may be the quiet person. You may be the loud person, you know, because at the end of the day, people really are just looking for authenticity and to to know you as well and feel like they know you. And, uh, you know, people can, they, they can tell when you're, when you're faking it. Oh yeah. Uh, so now we have the runoff, um, that's going to be on June 21st. I think so. I mean, and what's interesting about the runoffs is that we have had, so in Georgia, um, if you're listening to this, I know you know this, but, um, we have a law that says if you don't get 50% plus something, um, then you have to go into a runoff with the person who's right behind you. Um, and really, it that's a vestige of Jim Crow and, and segregation because the whole point was the, the white power structure really thought that that was the way that even if you had candidates of color or blocks of, 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 of uh, voters of color, right, come together and coalesce around a candidate, that it would be almost impossible for them to get somebody over the 50% mark, mm -hmm. right? And so the whole thing was, it was like a backstop um, to make sure that, you know, people of color couldn't get elected or the people that people of color wanted to elect couldn't ultimately get elected. So it's something that, 
you know, I really, I really wish we would change because I think it, it, it ends up in fewer people actually having a say ultimately in, in who's going to be the nominee or who's going to win the seat. Um, but it is what it is. And, and we are going to the runoff. Except in the case when it came to <laughs> Senator Ossoff. <laughs> it, that's just it. I mean, yes. everybody, I, I will tell you that the conventional wisdom has always been if the uh, Democrats could not pull it off on election night, then it was done because the runoffs, like I said, by design, right, in terms of, of keeping voters, diverse voters down. Um, but, man, it did. It backfired on them. It sure did. So now we have that. So, uh, you know, everybody get out there and vote. There's the lieutenant governor uh, race runoff and the secretary of state. And, and you know, so it's definitely. You right. Know. Labor commissioner. um insurance commissioner. I mean, these are very consequential (laughs) positions. And the problem is that maybe if you got out, now you think it's over, right? Right. If you're not really following it, Um, maybe you get out for the runoff. But this is also one of the bigger issues or problems with the fact that we had so many Democrats vote in the Republican primary. The only people who can vote in the Democratic primary are either people who voted in, I mean, the Democratic runoff or people who voted in the Democratic primary or who didn't vote. Um, If you chose, if you were a Democrat and you chose to vote in the Republican primary, then you are shut out of the Democratic runoff. Yeah. And that's that's a tricky thing. That's a that's tough. Well, we wish the best of luck to everybody. Man, I know they're tired. I know that's how I felt bad for, you know, I know, I mean, I don't really know B. Win that well, but I know that how hard she worked and, um, you know, to have to be able to have to go through all of that all over again, you know, you had election night and like, I could see it that night. You just had a sigh of relief. Like, okay, yeah, I, I mean, can breathe. You're so tired, right? You know, it's not over till it's over, but you can breathe now. And all right, now we can push forward to November. And, you know, the fact that you have to now like, oh, shit, we got to do this again for another couple of weeks. To- well, and spend more money. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing. Spend more money battling Democrats. When ultimately, you know, in terms of values, I would I would think that we're probably much more aligned than not. Yep. So let's talk about uh, the Senate race, the U.S. Senate, which is really interesting. Obviously, all eyes are going to be on Georgia with this Warnock Herschel Walker battle. Um, it's it's so intense and so crazy. And what I keep hearing is that, you know, I see Herschel obviously has there's so much opposition research on him. Uh, how do you think that's all going to play out? I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of fascinating. I'm just not sure. I mean, because this is, um, I don't think we've really seen anything in an, an analog for this in Georgia before. Um, you have this beloved sports figure who's beloved because of being the sports figure, but you know, he was a sports figure. I mean, 40 years ago. And so who he has been as an adult since then, um, and whether we're talking about business or or what he thinks politically or what he's done in his personal life, all that kind of stuff. I mean, all of that's really going to come out and, um, you know, it'll be interesting if people are, are, are going to listen 
Well, it's been interesting, the messaging on Warnock and some of the attack. They're not really attack ads just yet on Raphael yeah, Warnock. I've, I've seen those. And Where it's like, he's a good guy. Right, he's got a it's great- like, let me tell y'all, <laughs> we're not going to say that Warnock's not a great person and a great guy because he is. However, he's a Democrat. Just remember that. I mean, I could have I could have brought that thing down like, you know, to five seconds or less. Is that an effective strategy, though? I, I, I just, you know, because it's hard, I think, because they tried so hard to portray him as this, you know, they tried to make him Louis Farrakhan. And clearly he was not, you know, with, you know, the radical liberal, radical liberal. And he's not radical. No, he's just a. Baptist preacher, right? And not just a, I mean, but he, that, that is who he is at his core. He's a Baptist preacher. Um, And yeah, I don't, what's fascinating for me is that um, this is not the way Republicans campaign, right? Their campaign strategy of choice is to scare people like this person's really scary or, you know, we're not that great, but man, if you go with them, they're really bad. <laughs> so this whole kind of, man, he's a great guy, isn't he? But he's a Democrat. I mean, I don't know. We'll see if they continue down that path. Well, it was interesting. I did watch Herschel Walker. He was on the WABE and Killer Mike. has a sh- He has a show called Love and Respect. And it did get a lot of play that Herschel Walker was did a sit down. You know, he hasn't done a long sit down interview with a whole lot of people. But according to Killer Mike, in the beginning of the ramp up of this interview, it was Herschel Walker's campaign that really wanted to be on with Killer Mike. And it was a really interesting conversation. I I mean, I couldn't get through all of it because it was a lot of hero worship and the football stuff, which goes right over my head. I understand he he's good at football back in the day and people <laughs> I get no, but like, I understand why like they have nostalgia. It's like an old coat or a macaroni and cheese casserole or something that attaches positive memories. But um, it was interesting. And I'll play a little clip about him talking about critical race theory. Cause that was the only place where it's seen that, Killer Mike had some something to say. Black kid, yeah. growing up in an all-black community, taught by all-black instructors virtually, I was never allowed to think I was outside of America. Yes. I was never allowed to think that I was something different than American, and I was always encouraged to find yourself in the pages of history. Why is the CRT allowed to be, and even by you, yes. used as a trigger word to, to, in my opinion, to get votes, you know, yes. scare people, and how could we benefit by teaching white children yes. the truth about this country, that right. this country has never been a white country, but a culmination of cooperation, oh, even involuntarily with us yes. being enslaved. It's been a culmination yes. of all these people working together to make this republic better. And would you support yes. something not called CRT, yes. but a truth-based teaching that everywhere African-Americans have been, yes. that we make sure white children know it? Because I believe oh. for us to be robbed, of our dignity is one thing, but for them to remain yes. ignorant is dangerous for you us. Know. So, you know, I, I don't think this moves any needles, but it was the first time I, I saw Herschel like a little bit like a human being. But I just don't think he's going to get this kind of treatment anywhere else. Well, the the question is now that he is out of the primary. Does it matter? Mm-hmm. Right. Because. You know, and and this, again, all of this is kind of this conventional wisdom around Georgia politics, which, you know, 
Georgia, there's nothing generic about Georgia. But in the past, you know, Republicans have been known to come home. That's what they call it, which means there can be a rough and tumble primary. They can hate each other, you know, for the first three months of the year. But by God, after after the fighting's done and you've got your nominee, they're all going to support the person with the R by their name, come hell or high water. So that's the question. The question is, with respect to Herschel, is it is any of it even going to matter in terms of core Republican base voters because they're going to vote for him no matter what? That's really scary to me. Uh, only because, look, I may not agree with certain Republicans' policies, but this is not a man who seems ready to hold this job. That's, to me, just doesn't seem like he's ready for prime time. I I don't understand it. No, I don't either. But, I mean, you know, they did it in Alabama. Uh, Yeah. But Tuberville, at least, I mean, he's, you know, no Rhodes Scholar either. No. (laughs) But. Not a Rhodes Scholar or a Scholar on the road. (laughs) None of it. I know. And they had such a good guy. They had such a guy. No, look, we've I I hope that that our um, goal is never uh, to follow um, Alabama's example. And I hope we don't do that here. Yeah, I hope so, too. That's going to be one that's really, really interesting to watch. Okay, um, we are recording this before the Supreme Court has made their decision on Roe, um, which obviously we all have our eyes on. And, um, you know, who knows, by the time this drops, you know, we all may be talking about something different. Um, do you think it's going to be just as the opinion that was leaked? Uh, do you think it'll resemble that? I, I do. Um, but in part because I think the, the folks on the right, kind of this power structure on the right who have been pushing for this for so long have been very intentional in terms of, getting the people on the court that they know will sign on to an opinion um, that really is is radical in a lot of ways. And um, I, I don't think I've seen such judicial activism out of the Supreme Court ever. Well, uh, and by the way, thanks to Anthony uh, Christ, who filled in for you last week on the podcast. I know you probably didn't listen to it because you're too busy, but I didn't listen because it, it felt weird. I was like <laughs> listening to my own podcast that I'm not on. It was well, so odd. He was a really good. Oh, he's great. Uh, he's the best and we love him. And he was, you know, but it was, it was, I mean, as much as, you know, I, I, it was great to see him and he came over to my house and we had a really good time and, but it was really very depressing. And, um, I feel like there's not a lot of hope, you know, I feel like this is going to come down and there's going to be a lot of things. It's not just maybe closing down clinics or women not having uh, access to, to abortion access and abortion healthcare. Oh yeah. It goes way, way further. That, 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 that's what, it has always been one of the larger issues for me, which is folks have no clue, you know, the the far-reaching consequences of an opinion that basically, you know, strikes road down. Right. And we're talking, uh, one thing that Anthony and I were talking about in particular, which is really scary, are uh, 
uh, p- your phone apps, like y- your period tracker app, your uh, um, your GPS, if you are going to a clinic, uh, all of these privacy things where it's, it's, you know, IVF. What about that? Well, that's just it. Um, access to contraception. I mean, look, you know, when you have a Supreme Court justice who believes that um, contraception is is a form of abortion, you know, then y- you know kind of where we're headed. This is this goes far beyond just abortion access. It goes to to contraception. It goes to fertility treatments. Um, but really, at base, this is about women just being able to have control over their bodies and have autonomy in turn and be just full human beings in this country. I mean, basically, you're relegating women to the role of of having children, right? And that's kind of what they're good for and um, and that their lives are secondary. Um, you know, to this whole idea that 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 we need to um, go forth and prosper. I mean, you know, having children. Well, I am starting to take offense to anybody calling it pro-life uh, for their uh, the side that I, I, I say we are all pro-life. What these people are doing is pro-forced birth. There is a difference, in my view, at least. Look, I I think all we need to do, you know, they've always tried to make this a they've lied to people about things. They being kind of these these activists uh, that have pushed these policies. But really what we're talking about, we're talking about the fact that if they have their druthers, you know, you could have a 12 year old who is raped, um, who becomes pregnant. And she has to have the child, right? Even if it may endanger her life, even if her life is on the line, and and we're not even talking about the mental health, you know, issues surrounding it. They're saying that victims of incest should be forced to have children. That's right. And so it's one of these things where, you know, they can talk about whatever they want to talk about, but their policies necessarily mean that children do get hurt, right? Because children are going to be the victims of a lot of these acts, and they're going to be the ones that are forced to have a child when they're just a child themselves. Jen, we obviously are high information voters, and 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 our listeners are high information voters. If you're here on the Voter Podcast, you're someone who's keeping up with this stuff. I don't believe that the average person has been really following this the way we have, the way the leaked draft came out, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it, and so, and let's talk about what this means for Georgia. And do you think that women, those, you know, you always talk about the suburban woman, right? You know, the, the woman who was just sort of like, nah, my husband likes this and I like this, but like, you know, where is that going to get soon? They're going to be getting this information. Where, where, where are we going to be? I'm not sure. I mean, I'll tell you that. I think it's incumbent um, upon you know, anybody who can who can do it to communicate 
what this is really all about and to communicate the consequences and just how horrific and devastating they can be for women in this state. Because we already have one of the worst maternal mortality rates in the country. 76 of our counties don't have an OBGYN already. We have had all these closures of rural hospitals. And and so what does that mean? Well, it means that, think about it. If you're a doctor, if you're an OBGYN, why, you wouldn't want to come here if if you thought that you could possibly be prosecuted by offering care that you think is absolutely necessary for your patient to save their life, right? Um, you wouldn't come to Georgia. That's what I wonder. So we've had some really extreme bans, like Oklahoma seems like the the worst one. Um, does Governor Kemp, if he's elected, is he going to go ahead? Or, or when this opinion comes out is he going to go ahead do you think and do something super extreme just look i think he's he's already come out and said that as far as he was concerned if 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 roe is basically you know overturned effectively um that he is going to move as quickly as possible to criminalize you know um getting an abortion providing an abortion or aiding someone getting an abortion I mean, there has even been talks that he would call a special session to do that. Um, and it it may could happen. And what do you think that does for that suburban woman uh, voter? I mean, is that do you think that that campaign is realizing that Georgia is a, you know, a dark purple state? You know, I, I think that. You know, well, it goes back. What, what's my saying? It's like we're not a red state. We're not a blue state. We're a who shows up state. That's right. And if they're doing this um, in terms of basically taking back the fight for women's equality, a whole generation. Right. Um, my daughter has less rights or will have less rights than I've had my entire life. I, it's unbelievable. On this earth. That's real for women. Um, that's real for me. That's real for people who I know that aren't political. Um, And if they really want to see what color Georgia is, um, you know, when this comes down, if they move to go even further than they already have, which is not so anyway, um, I I think I think women are really I think they're going to show up. I hope so, Jen. Listen, it's what brought me to you. I had an abortion. I am not ashamed to talk about it anymore. And it, and I am so thankful that, that I was able to uh, have the freedom to do that at 19 years old. And I know a lot of you listening uh, either have a story like mine or know somebody that has one. And so I, I just, I do hope these women, and I say, the low information voters. And by the way, that's not like shaming somebody. I'm saying people have their own lives. And, no, and look, it is so negative, right? The political scene is so nasty that if this weren't something that I was doing, <laughs> if, if I didn't think that it, we were kind of at an existential crisis in this country, yeah, I'd probably put my head in the sand too. Yeah. Because nobody wants to be 
just pummeled with this negativity all the time. People are just trying to live their lives. Right. So, okay. So that's, so do you think they're recognizing that going that extreme is they're having those strategy sessions and saying this could be a gamble because here you have Stacey Abrams who is going to campaign on uh, reproductive rights and saying, listen, if you elect me, you know, we're not going to go to the extremes. Well, look, I think the deal is they've, not given a rat's behind before. Um, I mean, if you look at kind of the guns everywhere, the, doing away with permitting for guns um, in terms of people being able to carry, you know, openly carry on the streets, a semi-automatic gun. Um, there was polling that showed that a majority of Republican voters were against it, Right. But they are so beholden to the gun manufacturers and the special interest in terms of gun that that is more important to them than even their their voters, right? And I think the gamble that they take is, well, at the end of the day, they're always going to pick us, even if they're not happy with us, um, over a Democrat. Okay, that is true. But, you know, piss off a woman, you know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I, I worry. I am worried because I think there are a lot of people who will think that like I'm just, you know, my gas is too high and my groceries are too high and uh, that's my kitchen table issue. And I think a lot of Democrats are worried and I think a lot of Democrats uh, want Democrats to get tougher on that, to really remind people harder uh, what we're losing with this uh, taking rights away and, and, you know, undoing 50 years of precedent. Well, you know, I think it's been an interesting few weeks, um, you know, heck months. I mean, dealing with, um, you know, the Dobbs decision yeah. and what's going to happen with Roe. And then, of course, what happened in Uvalda, which was so horrific. It, it, it really is. And look, I think I think we can... And what we need to do, we need to be as focused and concerned about protecting second graders as we are about protecting the Second Amendment. And I don't think that it's an either or situation. I think we can protect people's constitutional rights and also make sure that somebody isn't going to go into an elementary school and, and take out second and third graders. Well, I also don't think it's the solution is, you know, d less doors in a building. That is, that's just the dumbest thing that oh. I had. I literally almost went like on a rant about that because I was like, hello, fire code. Hello. Actually, that makes it easier for, you know, a gunman. In it's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? I'm like, these people are crazy. It, and I, I know a lot of people are bent out of shape because I feel like, look, I feel if someone wants to have a gun and they're licensed and they're trained and they're an enthusiast in a weird way, like I understand why people like different varieties of guns, because it's like if you're a car collector or some, you know, even, you know, people are an enthusiast. I'm just taking the point of why someone feels passionate about their guns. I'm not saying that I'm the one. But look, you can feel passionate about collecting guns, but let's be clear what we're talking about. When we're talking about an automatic or a semi-auto, we are talking about guns of war. 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 This isn't about going deer hunting and sitting up in the deer stand. I mean, it isn't about dove hunting. It ain't about any of that. This is about 
war. Look, I, I think the biggest thing we've got to focus on this as a, as a, a community safety issue because that's what it is. Um, I tried to get passed in the Senate the entire time I was there a bill that basically just said that if you are a convicted domestic abuser, that's it. If you're a convicted domestic abuser, that you, you shouldn't have access to guns, right? It's like if you can't control yourself enough not to hurt and beat your wife and children, then maybe you shouldn't have access to a gun, right? It's pretty straightforward, simple. I thought we could all agree on that. Um, it could not get over the line, even though domestic abuse calls to law enforcement are the most dangerous ones they face because invariably there's a gun involved. Usually they're going to shoot the officer. It's going to be a murder-suicide situation. And so we've got to start thinking about it from a public safety place, whether it's we're talking about law enforcement, whether we're talking about children, whether we're talking about ourselves and our families. Because when you talk about rights, too, you have to balance rights. And maybe you got a Second Amendment right to own a gun, but my kids have a right to live and breathe, too. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of weeks. It's it's, um, you know, I, I and again, going back to the doors and I'm like, I think go back to Las Vegas, um, you know, when they were all, you know, is up in the hotel shooting at people. I mean, it's just you're not safe going to the supermarket. You're not safe going. Well, to and church. the gun that was used in Las Vegas um, was made by a gun manufacturer in Georgia. Right. As was the gun used in the Uvalde shooting. And yeah. they're both uh, I think they're both semi semi-auto military style rifles yeah well I, i'm not optimistic that they're going to come to agreements here i feel like it's 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 just i'm not either but then that's the whole point of voting right yes and being informed because clearly special interests have folks you know i mean they've co-opted them and they're not representing the people Right. It's the, like the minority the mothers, the children, yeah. the, the people who are really bearing the brunt of gun violence in this country. Did you watch that mother who went in to get her kids, the the mother who ha was handcuffed and then she was and she ran in and got them? I, I this woman was incredible. I mean, I, I, at least her account of the story just absolutely broke my heart. I mean, it was seeing those kids and reliving that story is, is it's, I, I feel very traumatized by it. I had a pan, like I had a panic attack when I learned about how the police didn't go in to save them. That, that is just, and the more we learn is, is, is just so much. Okay. Let's end on a more positive note. Um, you have had a little time off. Has that been good? It has been. I've <laughs> slept and I've cooked for my family and um, which is how I, you know, kind of relax and, and show my love to them. Yes. I have to say I was at your house for dinner. And for those of you who do not know, Jen, you made that pork tenderloin that you made was great. It was very I flavorful. I, that's, it's so funny because in my Senate <laughs> campaigns, especially the very first one, um, that's what I, I would cook for the volunteers. We even had like a volunteer Thanksgiving because, you know, I, how how can you really express to people just how thankful you are beyond just mere words? And so, you know, as a daughter of the South and someone who likes to eat, 
you know, food is definitely the way to do it. Food is love. Food is love. You know, breaking bread and talking to people and it is um, fellowship. It is, it's really what we should be doing with each other more often. All right. So we are, we've got um, a couple of more months till November. You're still going to keep podcasting with me. I mean, or do I do you need to keep Anthony on standby? Or? Well, you, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've got a campaign manager that cracks the whip on me. Uh, yes, your campaign manager, Meg, who is the boss. I, I just call her the boss. She is the boss of me. You need that, though. Oh, I, I totally need a I, boss. I, I mean, it's kind of great. Uh, but I, I, listen, I am seeing it in real time and the work that goes into it. And what we talked about at the beginning, as far as like, look, you can have all the endorsements of the world in the world, but you really have to do the work. And um, you are really, really doing it. Um, I think, you know, you've got a lot of cheerleaders. That, well, you know, it takes everybody. I mean, that's just it. Representation is about representing, which really is about the larger community and your supporters. It's it's never about one individual. Well, so. right. I mean, I see your, I've been seeing, well, I've been seeing your signs in my neighborhood a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They're there. I get excited. I text you a picture every time I see it. I know. But <laughs> you're like, thank you. Yeah. Like South Georgia. That, yeah. that would give me, <laughs> give me more yeah, you're happiness. Like, Virginia Highland, Morningside. Ooh, thanks, Mara. <laughs> <laughs> it is Jen, the number four, GA.com. Anything that you can do. I mean, Jen doesn't want to sit here and ask you for money, but I will. We will have more activities coming up. You're still going to podcast. We're going to shoot for every other week. Like, you know, I'm actually travel doing some yeah you're doing some cool travel summer vacation which i can report about when i get back well you'll follow me on instagram mara davis 2000 i'm sure i'll be a total you know hooker about it because you know yeah that's be what- one of those people that's like really <laughs> thank you while i go to work every day i, I, I don't know it's weird like when people go on great vacations i actually really like to follow it on instagram um you know my husband will always say nobody cares nobody cares nobody cares and i'm like no i think people can like if someone goes on a good trip, like a friend of mine is in Paris right now and I'm like really invested in their trip. To me, that's it's a it's it listen, you unfollow me if you don't like it. And I know you're not on Instagram that much. Yeah, I'm really not that much. Because you're too busy. You're well, too busy. I gotta just get a little bit cooler for the for the young for the young folks listen we need you doing the work you're cool enough uh listen the coolest is christina loringer who is always waiting in the wings for us uh, to pr- produce this podcast when we need her thank you so much christina for all that thank you to jen's volunteers so many of them yes. that i met uh that that uh, night of the primary who love you and you know i just come in here and have a great time uh they're really doing the real work so um thank you for that and we will talk to you next time hopefully in two weeks yeah and maybe we'll have some clarity in terms of uh, the state of the world i'll just give you an oy to that that's where we're at <laughs> oy vey, oy. <laughs>